Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Pachersky. I'll be joined by my co-host, Tom Quirk, in just a little bit. Today, we're really excited to be joined by Ben Silver. He covers the Phillies for The Good Fight. He worked for Sports Illustrated in the past. Now he works for Sports Info Solutions as well. He's just a super knowledgeable baseball guy. Obviously, uh, the Phillies being his forte, so we're going to have him on. We've been covering the World Baseball Classic a lot lately, so we're going to take a little bit of a break from that and go back to our roots, really, the Phillies. We're huge Phillies fans, Tom and I. So that's what we're going to do today with Ben. So it's going to be really fun. It's a great chat just about what's coming up in the season, how things are looking in spring training, you know, roster battles. The Phillies have a few of them, injuries that are going on, things like that. We're also going to play a fun game of Elmer Descends, a Phillies-themed one, of course. And Ben was a really good, I don't know if opponent's the right word, challenger maybe, but Ben was a lot of fun to talk about with that. So anyway, we really enjoyed our time with Ben Silver. You can go follow him on Twitter, at Ben H. Silver, and he's got a YouTube channel called Nothing If Not Inconsistent. He uh, puts together all kinds of Phillies videos, and they're super, super funny. I've been a big fan of that, even before I knew that that was Ben. You'll see our reaction later on when we find out that that is Ben, so that's really exciting uh, to be able to get to talk, to talk about that, hopefully in the future with Ben. So anyway, go follow him on Twitter, at Ben H. Silver, and go check out his YouTube channel, Nothing If Not Inconsistent. So anyway, hope you guys enjoy our interview with Ben. Hope you guys enjoy when we recorded this. There's the one, one game left in the World Baseball Classic, U.S. versus Japan, so that should be super, super fun. I hope you guys enjoyed all of our World Baseball Classic coverage, and uh, we're, we're not done with international baseball by any means. We're going to keep having people on. We're going to do some wrap-ups for some of the teams that have been involved in the World Baseball Classic and some of the big storylines that have come out of that, and obviously with the MLB season about to kick off, we'll be doing a lot of stuff with that, so I hope you guys stick around, and I hope you enjoy our interview with Ben Silver. So we're here with Ben Silver, Philly's blogger extraordinaire. You can find him now at The Good Fight. Ben, where else do you write for? Because I'm realizing I don't know. Uh, literally <laughs> just The Good Fight right now. <laughs> okay. well, oh, there you go. You nailed it. Yeah, I know. Spot on. on. You're on Twitter at Ben Silver, correct? Ben H. Silver or Ben Silver. Uh, the ad is – I don't really know what the difference is. I mean, I Ben H. Silver is the ad. Ben Silver is my name. <laughs> All right. Sorted. <laughs> Well, well your, your name also is Ben H. Silver, correct? Yes, it is. That's not, that's not incorrect. <laughs> no, I, I said nothing false, and that, that's yeah. the important part. He's not this, is the, this is the quality content you guys come yeah. to the baseball podcast to hear. Yeah, please you don't know. sue me. No libel. <laughs> you can sue him. I, I don't mind. No, 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 no. Don't do it. I, this is the first major schism on the podcast. <laughs> I will defend Ben to the death legally. All right. Thank, thank you. I, I'm willing to, you know. Uh, watch Tom in a gladiator match for my enjoyment, I guess, yeah. and also hopefully to make me not die as well. Exactly. Yeah, it, it it seems that it would have a lot of benefits for you, you know. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I like it. So, listen, what what is it that we we've brought Ben here for, Ethan? Why don't Why don't you tell our uh, again our hordes of fans who oh, our legions? Yeah, we hang on our, our every team. word. We brought Ben on to talk a little Phillies. We've been talking international baseball for a while now, as we should be. The World Baseball Classic is going on. But let's take a break. Let's talk Phillies because that's what's near and dear to our heart. So, Ben, what are the what are the major storylines going on in Phillies camp right now? Well, for me, it's that last sort of bench spot between Scott Kingery and Josh Harrison. Throw Derek Hall in the mix, maybe. But, I mean, the Phillies, their, their roster construction is really better than anything I've seen Maybe in my lifetime, I mean, sure, you talk about like 2010, 2009, 2011, but I don't think those teams were as balanced as this team are. And we we, we know who's making the team, you know, right. Reese Hoskins, JT O'Neill Muto, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Noah, the stars. 
Um, but it's it's those five bench spots, and even of those five, we know that Garrett Stubbs is making the roster. We know that Edmundo Sosa is making the roster. And then I guess that sort of leaves three spaces for Jake Cave, Scott Kingery, Cody Clemens, um, who am I forgetting? Josh Harrison, Dalton Guthrie. Yeah, and it, it's interesting to me because I think Cave is going to make the roster. It's it's hard to keep off a guy who's batting four twenty nine in spring training. Mm-hmm. Kingery is the same sort of situation, but he's cooled off a little bit. And again, he's not on the 40-man roster. You have to DFA someone. So for me, the last spot comes down to Scott Kingery versus Josh Harrison. And I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about this as well. Well, I think I think Harrison definitely has the inside track because he's on a guaranteed major league deal. Although they're paying Kingery money anyway, so that kind of negates that. But I think mm-hmm. Kingery is just a sunk cost to them at this point. And I think he's the kind of guy where if they run into trouble and they need some flexibility, he can play infield and outfield. So they, they can go that direction. But Harrison has been at least relatively productive in the big leagues recently. And Kingery mm-hmm. just doesn't have that on his resume. Although, Ben, I mm-hmm. want to get your thoughts on Dalton Guthrie. I thought coming into spring training, he was going to have he was going to be in the pole position to take the fourth outfielder job because he hits right-handed. He's a pretty good fielder and he's got wheels. Uh, why do you think Jake Cave is taken over? Is that just because of his spring training performance? Oh, well, clearly. I mean, Dalton Guthrie is a solid player, but I don't think there's anyone in the Phillies sphere who thought that Guthrie was going to be a major league regular bench bat even before last year. And sure, you know, he made the postseason roster. He hit three thirty-three, but he did it. 28 plate appearances it's just not a large enough sample size and people see that big 333 batting average next to his name and you know Dalton Guthrie lights up in your head right but for me it's I think Jake Cave should have been you know the number one choice the whole time unless Guthrie showed up and Cave didn't but clearly Cave is the man he's played center field you know he can play good defense there if the Phillies even want to have him play right field and Castellanos DH to start the season that would be another interesting thing if you know, you have a fly ball pitcher on the mound. Um, I'm not too sure how uh, Taiwan Walker profiles, but it might be interesting to get some extra outfield defense and have uh, Marsh and Guthrie sort of shade out Kyle Schwarber out there in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, that is an interesting take on it for sure, because, you know, it's not not a particularly creative take to look at the Phillies and be like, their defense, eh. <laughs> especially in the outfield could use some work i mean castellanos freely admitted in the world series that he doesn't try on defense in the regular season so you know there there will be that again yeah, get that and, uh, if, if we do get a healthy castellanos back because i i find myself decently sold that the wrist injury that he had at the beginning of last season affected his hitting for the entire season because he was crushing the ball before that. And then all of a sudden he just turned into swing at everything, you know, pulling the ball weekly, <laughs> not hitting anything the other way with any authority, which is really not the Castellanos that we've seen for years now. I think if you get like OG Castellanos back, the guy that they paid all that money for, I don't think it really hurts you to just put him at the H. If yeah. you get last year Castellanos maybe that's a different story because mm-hmm. he wasn't particularly productive last year. So, I mean, I guess, I guess my take on that would be it. Maybe it depends on which Castellanos shows up, but at the same time, you know, even if you get lousy hitting Castellanos, it's not like Jake cave solves that. 
No, I mean, you're still paying Castellanos $25 million a year. It's it's yeah. a sunk cost. But the injury thing is really interesting for me because you can kind of look, there, there are peaks and troughs throughout his 2022. Mm-hmm. He started off the year in April, he hit 300, OPS 849. And then theoretically, that's when, I, I forget if my timelines are matching up here. I think that's when he got the wrist injury. Yeah, that um, sounds right. I think it was the beginning of May, right? Yeah. And so for the next three months, his OPS never uh, was above 700. He finally gets healthy in August, batting average back to exactly 300 again, OPS up to 833, and he gets turf toe and is out for three weeks. And he's not the same yeah. in the playoffs, and he's you know not the same in the 10 games he plays in September. So I think it's a possibility. He's looked good in spring training, OPS over 800 again. If Castellanos can be a you know slightly above average hitter, the Phillies you know, can slot him at the six hole, the five hole in the lineup and, and they'll be comfortable. I think for me, it's just the question of will he pay attention on defense in the regular season? Uh, Which is for me, the answer he, to that seems to be no. Yeah. I mean, for me, he's going to be in the lineup. Uh, Rob Thompson yeah. does not seem like the sort of guy to bench Castellanos. I know, you know, we talk about Joe Girardi not being the guy to bench Didi Gregorius, but Castellanos and Gregorius to me are different situations. Yeah, Castellanos at his worst was never as bad as Didi Gregorius was at his worst. Yeah. At least Nick Castellanos isn't playing shortstop. We for that we can all be thankful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So speaking of the infield, who do you think Alec Bohm is going to be this year? He sort of vacillated between hot shot prospect and then failed prospect, and now decent guy who can hit a little bit but doesn't have the power that everybody wants out of a corner infielder. And the fans love him and the fans hate him. Like, what do you think Alec Bohm is in 2023? I mean, I think he's a solid hitter. Again, I, I think he falls into the same bracket as Castellanos, where he'll probably be above average. I don't expect him to be Jason Worth, um, which is, you know, what some people are comparing him to. But at least in spring training, he's been lifting the ball considerably more often. I, I could yeah, see him, has. you know, hitting 18 to 20 home runs. I could see him, you know, batting 285 to 305. But the concern for me is that if he doesn't do that, I think this is this is his year. He has to he has to do something this year, or else he's a bust for me. Mm-hmm. Because he just he can't play third base. You know, you can stash him at first base, sure, and his defense will be fine there. But you don't want a first baseman whose OPS is seven fifty unless they're winning a Gold Glove. And even then, Bohm's defense is not winning a Gold Glove at first. Sure, he can, you know, come off the bench and face lefties, but I, I'd like Bone to be more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the some of the things as far as Bone that I've talked about, I've talked about it with Ethan, I've talked about it with some of my other friends, is like, and this was before spring training, and you are right that he's been lifting the ball a lot better in spring training, which, you know, there is always going to be spring training results frequently don't really mean anything but i always wanted to see him become more of like an on-base guy that was like his contact skills like he you know he's a good hitter he just doesn't have tons of power if he could be like a 380 on base percentage guy i think that you know i'm like i'm all alec bohm in that situation even if you have to move him to first because to me that you know that beefs up the top of the lineup which is not you know it's not the strong part of the lineup we do have turner up there now so you know you don't have schwarber hitting leadoff but like especially last season like there were times where 
you were you had a little bit of a dearth of on base percentage at the top of the order. Yeah. So I I thought that Bohm profiled well as somebody who could fit in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know if he has any sort of future as like a gets on base all the time guy. But yeah. uh, I think either he needs to beef up the power or the on base percentage because he's probably never going to be you know a platinum Glover at third base. Mm-hmm. which is the other option. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I th- I think I would rather see him be, be an on-base percentage guy because I think that would be more consistent, more reliable. But, you know, I don't know which way he's going to break. I Power's in right now, so maybe he's trying to hit uh, more home runs. I know he put on muscle in the offseason, yeah, which is, is for kind sure. of a I want to hit home runs thing, so... And you can see it when you look at him too. It's he—he he looks like a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, the one concern for me with trying to make Bowman on base guy is that I think one of the bigger, the bigger pros for Bowman last year was that he started swinging at more pitches, which decreases walk rate, but it also had a much bigger impact on his strikeout rate, which fell from like twenty-seven percent to seventeen percent. And okay, yeah. he just, yeah, he just like he didn't walk, which is not a good thing, but it allowed him to, you know, at least put the ball in play and pull it in play occasionally because he was mm-hmm. just, he, he was trying to do too much last year. I w- want to say last year as in 2021. Right. I don't know what Bohm's future is, but I think the way forward for him, the, the way this is, it becomes a win-win for him is if he can pull the ball with power which is really the only way I can see him sticking as a starter at the major league level. And frankly, I also think it's the most likely outcome because I think he's a talented hitter. You know, we've all watched this guy for the last three years. We've seen what it looks like when Boehm gets on a hot streak. And if if he can, you know, change some of those line drive flyouts that go almost the warning track to, you know, balls off the wall or balls into the first row of the outfield like we saw in the World Series, mm-hmm. then that's a guy you want to have batting fifth or sixth on a championship team. Yeah, I think it is also good that he's in a lineup where, you know, he's not going to be counted on to be the RBI guy unless yeah. he already is that guy. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. less pressure on him. So right. that that will be nice. You know, th- he's he's got time to continue developing. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think you're onto something there about the depth of the lineup. And one of the things that we've seen unfold during spring training is the starting pitching depth has been sort of falling apart and not because you know, of bad roster construction, more just because Ranger Suarez is battling an injury, Christopher Sanchez, and I think Nick Nelson are also battling injuries. And obviously Andrew Painter might require Tommy John, hopefully not, but he won't be able to start the year. Ben, what's going to happen with the rotation? They have a lot of games to play in April, so I don't think they'll be able to go four with an off day a bunch of times. So what's, how's that going to shake out? Just Bailey falter and hope hope that Ranger Suarez is healthy? So I think that going into the season, the Phillies are going to employ something similar to what they did last year. Um, you know, Nola and Wheeler are, you know, they'll have pitch counts like 85, 90 to start the year. You'll see Taiwan Walker be pretty stretched out, and I think the same with Falter. Um, I've heard they're also stretching out Strom a little bit, and the uh, the rumor is that uh, he's going to sort of piggyback with Ranger to start the year. Ranger will get three innings, then Strom will get three innings, and they'll turn it over to the bullpen. But for me, and if you want the big take out of this, is that Andrew Painter's UCL quote-unquote tear is a good thing for the Phillies. 
Because would let's put it this way. Would you rather have Andrew Painter pitch 100 to 110 innings for the Phillies this year, all of them in the regular season, or would you rather have Andrew Painter pitch 70 innings for the Phillies in the regular season and 30 in the postseason? You know, if he if he comes back in July or August and is lighting up the radar gun and is is fooling major league hitters, then that guy is going to get some postseason starts, you know, to knock on wood if the Phillies do make the postseason. Right. And, you know, I want the Phillies trotting out the best that they can have out there. And if if Painter can go out there and be unlimited in September in the postseason instead of, you know, oh, this guy can only throw 60 pitches in the postseason, you know, we can better make sure the bullpen is ready to behind him. I prefer that Andrew Painter to uh, to the former. Right. Yeah. I mean, you definitely. We we saw what a hard attack the bullpen game can be mm-hmm. in this year's playoffs, and it worked out. I think it worked out every time, except maybe once in the World Series. But you know, bullpen games are never awe inspiring, especially when you have a, a phenom like Painter who could, you know, he could take control of a game if he lives up to his potential. Oh so, no doubt. Yeah, I think that, you know, that is a good point that I didn't really think of that, you know, they could use them in a, they could use them in the playoffs a lot more than they could use them in the regular season. I don't have a ton of faith that the Phillies are going to win the division just because the Braves are so good. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, if they win a couple extra games over the course of the season because they bring Painter up earlier, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. So they're playing for a wild card spot. So, yeah, maybe maybe they do make them their secret weapon for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and I think that'd be a lot of fun, too, just from a fan perspective, because a lot of these players aren't going to be used to Painter if he does pitch slash start in the playoffs. You know, you got a little bit of that with, uh, with Strider midseason, where he came mm-hmm. out and he was pitching like eight innings striking out 17 batters because no one had ever seen his stuff before you get painter doing that in the postseason and, and a legend is born. Right. Um, I, I would really like to see that. And something I also think is theoretically plausible is, um, is Abel and McGarry pitching the postseason too, not as starters, but as relievers or able piggybacking with, uh, with painter and, uh, Rob Thompson said at the Mooner meetings, you know, neither of these guys are going to be coming up anywhere near the beginning of the year. I think if either of them has any chance, it will be late into the dog days of summer, if not as September call-ups. But, man, Abel has fallen by the wayside here. Everyone talks about Andrew Painter, but mm-hmm. if if Abel was our top prospect, you know, we were, I remember what that was like when Spencer Howard was our top prospect. People loved that guy. And Spencer Howard, I believe, was ranked lower than what Abel is ranked now. I mean, he could be, you know, not a future. I mean, sure, he could be a future ace. Abel, Abel is a theoretically top of the rotation guy that everyone has sort of forgotten about. Yeah, that that was that was going to be my next question. And you basically just answered. I, I was just going to say you know, can we expect to see Mick Abel? Because always it was Abel and Painter, Abel Abel and Painter. And then Andrew Painter kind of pulled away of being like the guy for the Phillies, but Abel could still totally make an impact. Do you think McGarry, they'll keep trying to turn into a starter or is he just going to become a late inning relief option? I mean, for me, I'd I'd prefer the Phillies to fast track him as a reliever. And obviously starters are more valuable, but the control just isn't there for me for him to be pitching five or six innings right now. Um, in a weird sort of way, he reminds me a little bit of Hans Kraus, um, who never should have been tried to turn. They should have never tried to turn him into a starter. 
Um, but I mean, obviously, McGarry is better than Hans Krauss. Krauss is, you know, wherever he is now. I think theoretically, the path for McGarry to become a starter looks a little bit like what happened with Ranger Suarez, where he bounces back and forth as a swingman and really establishes himself as a front line reliever. And, you know, if you need relief depth late, or if you need starting depth late in the season, you bump McGarry up to be a starter and see what he can do once he's already established himself a little bit at the major league level. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Are there any other uh, starting pitching options that you think we're glossing over? Because for a while it was okay. The rotation set with, you know, Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, and Bailey Falter. And then maybe we'll see Painter able break into a spot, but now we're seeing that depth kind of challenged. Is there anybody that we're forgetting about? I mean that's that's the scary thing. It's not not really. <laughs> There's like God, right. Christian Sanchez, my Michael Plasmeyer. Do you really want those games? Those guys starting games for a team you hope wins the division. And I know we we talked about this for a moment a while ago, but the Phillies should have division hopes. That should be their aim this year. And frankly, I think that they're going to fall head and shoulders above the Mets. It's the Braves I'm worried about because. Yeah, the Braves are way better than the Mets are. Yeah, people talk about the Mets, but there's so many question marks for me. You cannot rely on two guys who have a cumulative age of, you know, 41 between Verlander and Scherzer as your, you know, two star players. You know, Lindor and Alonzo are both good, but they're not, for me, superstars. Um, And they're just not that well-rounded. You look at Quintana, who's 36 and just got injured. I mean, really... For me, the Mets are a boomer bust type team. They could theoretically, if everything goes perfect for them, win 102 games. But I think it's way more likely that they win 86. Yeah, they're a very they're a very Phillies old Phillies esque team of of sort of Ruben Amaro trying to hold things together. You know, of like if everything breaks right and Ryan Howard can you know stay healthy and Chase Utley can stay healthy. You know, like the right. 10 Phillies could maybe win 100 games. And then, you know, they also have the possibility of turning into like the 2013 Phillies and just not doing anything. Um, I I like the Mets. I just don't like them more than the Phillies at this point. And obviously Edwin Diaz is a big blow and has changed the whole the whole way their bullpen looks really. So for me, with uh, with the whole Diaz thing, I mean, that, that's taking two wins off the board for the Mets right there. But people act like at least for me, the loss of Diaz is not as big a deal as Mets fans make it out to be. Like his value over replacement for, you know, whatever reliever or closer they pick up is just not going to be that monumental. You know, if the Mets lost Jeff McNeil or Eduardo Escobar or just any like random corner outfielder, that would be just as bad. I, I just... Diaz is a great player and they're paying him $115 million. That price tag is carrying a lot more weight than his performances. Even though he is the best closer in baseball and I, there's no no other reliever I would rather have on my team than him, I just don't think that it's going to make it that big of an impact. Right. Yeah, I mean, reliever value is pretty I, – I would say that it's almost hard capped by the fact that they just don't throw that many innings. So, you know, there's there's always going to be a limit to the amount of damage that you take when a reliever is out. If you have a reliever who's in the game, who's terrible, then the damage can be untold. But that's not a problem with, with Diaz, so I, I they're like not going to have that it, issue. I like to call that the James Norwood effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Yuri's Familia yeah, exactly. phenomenon. Well, so speaking of the Phillies 
bullpen woes of last year. I want to ask you about a guy, Ben. We saw the Phillies jump on um, relief pitching early. They gave out a, a two-year deal to Matt Strom, which looking, you know, with hindsight, we saw others, you know, decent left-handed uh, hurlers like Matt Moore and Will Smith and such, and and Brad Hand, the effervescent Brad Hand, get really cheap deals. So it seems like they jumped on Matt Strom. They identified him as their guy early. Another guy they signed was Craig Kimbrell for one year, $10 million, and a good comp is David Robertson, old Philly, got one year 10 million dollars and i'm not i'm not sold on craig kimbrell i think he has his uses i'm not upset that he's in the phillies pen i don't know if he was the best choice at a 10 million dollar price tag what do you think ben yeah i think at least i'll, I'll attack kimbrell first here but uh, phillies the past couple of years have gone a little bit closer by committee. And that, that was less so at the end of last year once Knievel was injured and once he started falling off a little bit. Uh-huh. But I think the front office and maybe Rob Thompson, and I, I could be mischaracterizing them here, but I think they want a guy that they can rely on for the end of games so that Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado can be the fireman. They can be the stopper and they can go in and attack a bases loaded jam or attack, you know, runners on the corners with one out and, you know, not have to worry about bringing their best reliever in. And frankly, I think the idea of a closer is a little bit antiquated anyways. The Phillies, they want to use him as a Swiss Army knife. Kimbrell can, you know, go out there, he can close games and at least give Thompson the peace of mind that he's hopefully not going to melt down. And I agree. I think you're paying for past performance here with Kimball. You're paying for the name and not for the season he's about to put up. I don't hate the deal. I think he's a decent bounce back candidate. And I think he's the sort of guy who theoretically could post an ERA under three. Strom though, I, I really like just because he has an ability to eat innings as a lefty out of the pen, which is something the Phillies haven't really had. He can, he can face righties and, you know, not be annihilated. Um, but Strom, I think they're paying for future performance. And, you know, if they're paying that guy 14 million, I mean, they must see something in him. And I trust this front office. I've seen what they've done the past year and a half. Why, why should Strom be any different? Yeah, I get that. That makes perfect sense. I, I don't dislike the Matt Strom signing at all. I think it's a perfect example of Dombrowski and Sam Fold identifying their guy and going, we'll spend a little bit more than the market seems to value it at because we want him because, you know, they could have gone out and just gotten another Brad hand for 2 million, 3 million bucks and called it quits. But as we saw, I remember last year, me and Tom did an episode previewing the Phillies and we were talking about how between hand familia and Corey Canable, they should have like one and a half good relievers. And I guess it kind of turned out that way because Canable was up and down, but he was serviceable for a while and hand was serviceable for a while. But like none of those guys were like solid late inning options all the time. And I think they sort of just went match drawn. We think is that, and we're just going to go out and spend the money. That's how mm-hmm. I see it. I, and I like that they're doing it that way. So I actually don't think that they see Strom as a late inning option. I think that he's more, an early inning fireman. I think you're going to have Gregory Soto and Sir Anthony Dominguez and Craig Kimbrell and Jose Alvarado as the guys for the seventh, eighth and ninth. I think Strom is just someone that they want to be able to come in and face a lefty in the sixth inning when the Phillies are losing five to four and they don't want the game to get out of hand. Not that that's, you know, not a, a glorious position per se, a glamorous position, I think that they just, for so long, they've utilized Nick Nelson there 
or you know last year in the beginning of the season james norwood they want someone in the beginning of the season who's just not gonna shit the bed in april in the sixth inning and maybe the seventh inning if everyone's a little tired i mean they had brand brad hand had a 280 ra last year but i mean everyone who watched him knows that that guy is terrible there's a reason he's getting two million dollars to play at the rockies after coming off a pennant winning team and, the Phillies want confidence in a guy, and I think they have confidence in Matt Stroman. I think he's going to see a lot of innings in April, uh, you know, following Ranger Suarez and, you know, coming in early in games as a fireman. Yeah, for, for one of the first times in my life since the World Series core broke up, I feel pretty confident about a Phillies bullpen, and that's such a foreign feeling to me. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> um, but I do. I feel good. I, I like the moves that they made, although, again, I kind of question the depth. I'm not super sure how well they're going to be able to handle it. If they have guys go down, they have Christopher Sanchez types that are sort of swing men, but I don't know. I don't know. Are there any guys on the farm or something that you can see coming up and make a big impact other than McGarry? I mean, early in the year, this year, pitching-wise, not really. I, I mean, Andrew Baker has been talked about a bit. I, I just, I haven't seen enough of spring training. I'll be honest to to really have a fair say on him. I mean, Johan Rojas, if Marsh gets injured, could you know be a, a spark plug at center field, playing great defense, stealing a lot of bases. But I just don't think the bat is quite there yet. I think he comes up and you know has an OPS of 550 or 600 and he's mm-hmm. he's simply, you know, a replacement player. But that that's my concern at least right now is that Phillies do not have a lot of guys in the upper minors. Um more in, you know, single A and double A they have Carlos de la Cruz and how you Lee guys who, you know, might make an impact in a year or two and and maybe Carlos de la Cruz makes an impact late in the season. But I think pitching wise, the Phillies are a little short on impact depth. I, I think, you know, between Eric Ullman and uh, Union Marte, and even Andrew Bellotti at the back end of the bullpen this year, I, I think that they're pretty well stocked on older guys. But breakout prospects, I just, I don't, I don't see it right now, at least in the beginning of the season. Who knows? They could trade for someone. But mm-hmm. as of spring training, the situation is somewhat bleak there. Yeah, they seem to they seem to be leaning pretty hard on, you know, we're going to go out and just find relievers and mm-hmm. we're going to focus on trying to farm up starters. But I yeah. guess you can always be like, listen, if Painter turns out, you know, he can't get past the third inning, he has the stuff to be an elite reliever. You know, you can always kind of pivot with that. It's a little bit harder when you got a reliever in the minors to be like, oh, he's going to be a starter now. Yeah. So, um, do you think I I saw some people asserting this, and I'm I'm not certain because I don't know too much about like Strom's arsenal, for example. I saw people basically saying like the Phillies saw in the World Series that the Astros just put out reliever after reliever who throws a hundred, and they were like, we better get on this. So they already had Alvarado, Dominguez throws pretty hard. They brought in uh, Soto who throws really hard. But I, I don't really know where, where Strom fits in that. Is Strom a power guy or is he No, he, he's guy? more of a finesse guy. They, they brought him in because he has great spin rate and because mm-hmm. he has solid command of the strike zone. He tops out at about 95, I want to say. Average is about 93 on the fastball. Um, you know, maybe he'll at 96, 97. But 
all of his curve spin rate is, you know, top quarter of the league. Fastball spin rate is, you know, top, you know, half of the league. You know, uh-huh. it, it, he doesn't throw that hard, but the the spin rate will make it look like it's rising a little bit and might add, you know, an extra tick or two of velocity to it. And he's also got right. a bit of a funky delivery. Um, but mm-hmm. as recently as 2019, which I believe was the season he pitched most in, um, he had about yeah, he half was his a starter was, back yeah, then. It looks half like. his games a starter is that his walk rate that year when he was throwing his most innings was was very low. Mm-hmm. His issue then was that he was giving up a lot of home runs. Now he's toned the home runs down a little bit. He's brought the strikeouts up a little bit, but the walks have have risen with that as I think he's throwing a little bit harder too. Um, but as he's leaning more on, you know, is two premium pitches, his fastball and his breaking ball. He splits that into a slider and a curve. Mm-hmm. I think that he's going to be a little bit more effective knowing that he's not going to be asked to really ever start a game for the Phillies. Right. Although now that they're stretching him out, who knows, maybe he'll go three innings in relief of Suarez. But still, that's different from, you know, the, what is it, 25 starts he made in his career with uh, the Padres and the Red Sox and the Royals too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking over his stats. It does seem like it seems like he's kind of an average strikeout guy. But uh, you know, it it also it seems like the Phillies bullpen is pretty loaded with strikeout guys right now. Again, you know, right. we're always gonna face that depth issue, but you know, it, is Strom the kind of guy who you're looking to get like double play balls and stuff, or do you think he is a is he a fly ball pitcher? I mean, I'm no, not looking he, at his, his ratio. He will definitely get strikeouts. That is for right. certain. I mean, he he last year. Let's see what his strikeout rate was. 10. I mean, twenty seven percent. I mean, that's oh, you're looking still, at percent. Okay, yeah. I mean, either way, it's still really impressive. Yeah, I think what they're hoping for him is is someone who can throw every other day. Is someone mm-hmm. who can eat seventy innings in the season and face a lot of lefties and face a lot of righties and be a little bit funky with his delivery. They're not looking for an elite back-end reliever, someone to come in and roll a double play or even to strike someone out. They're looking for someone to eat innings out of the bullpen and to do so highly competently. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, every team needs at least one of those guys. And you Mm -hmm. you can really tell when that's a hole for a team also. Yeah, I mean, the Phillies last year, I believe Nick Nelson threw more innings than any other reliever. And the thing is, people shit on Nick Nelson, I think, a little bit unnecessarily. He was he was a solid pitcher last year. Mm-hmm. You know, 485 year A, 304 FIP out of your long relief guy is, is pretty darn good. But the Phillies want their guy who eats 70 innings this year to have a 4.1 ERA, a 3.8 ERA instead of a 4.8 ERA. And right. that's what Strom is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think guys in the Phillies bullpen – aside from maybe Dominguez got a little bit more of a hard time than they deserved last year because of some really high profile, just absolute failures. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like blowing what two or three, seven run leads, you know? So you're, you see guys like Bilotti and like Alvarado who were generally effective on the season, get a lot of, you know, they get a real hard time for stuff that maybe wasn't necessarily all their fault. You know, as soon as Familio was out of the bullpen, it was kind of a new look bullpen <laughs> in a lot of ways. Well, yeah. there is one more pitcher that I think deserves to be talked about. 
Noah's song is obviously one of the big storylines of, you know, spring training. I was about to say training camp of spring training. And obviously everybody knows he was in the Navy and then they, they took him in the rule five draft and now I've spent time on the big league roster. But as far as I know, Ben, and I'm sure you're closer to this than I am. As far as I know, it was, he's going to have to be on the roster the whole year because he's a rule five pick unless he's hurt. And now he <laughs> is hurt and we'll see if that's true. That and is- the whole thing is, you know, what's going to happen now? Are they going to try and bury him on the injured list as long as they can and then sneak any innings out of him? Do you think Noah Song has a realistic chance at all of making this roster, or is this just sort of front office trickery and he'll end up getting traded or returned to the Red Sox? Oh, it's pure gamesmanship, and, and I love it. He he probably oh, will yeah. pitch this year, I think, because this is a guy who probably should be a first-round pick. You know, the issue is that he just hasn't picked up a baseball. And the thing is, the Phillies, when they drafted him, they knew exactly what they were going to do with him. They, you know, they trot him out in spring training. They know he hasn't thrown a baseball in a few years, and he's not going to look great as mm-hmm. they saw in spring training. But they also know that because of that, he's, you know, the elbow, the human arm is not meant to throw pitches at 95 miles an hour. So they also know that he's going to hurt himself. And it's not that they made up a fake injury. They just, they knew he was going to get injured. They found and, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that once Noah Song is healthy, they'll probably leave him on the IL for an extra week or two. Then they'll send him to a rehab assignment to the minors while he's, you know, still on the roster. And then he'll come up to the big leagues. And unless he is an utter disaster and the Phillies need the spot for a postseason push, he will probably stay on the roster for the rest of the year. Because theoretically, and I could be mistaken here, but this is a guy with three plus pitches. And if everything goes you know, in the the way the Phillies want it to, in the perfect scenario, this guy could be starting games in the Phillies opening day rotation in 2024. Um, yeah. It's going to take a lot of maneuvering. It's going to take every piece falling perfectly and everything going right. But mm-hmm. Noah Song is, there is a great pitcher in there somewhere, but the Phillies will have to find a way to chisel him out. So correct me if I'm wrong. If if they had just taken him like any other player and just rolled through him with the, the season with him, he would have had to be on the active roster the entire time. Unless yes, he's hurt. now that he's hurt, he he'll be entitled to a rehab assignment, right? Which you can just use as minor league time, right? Mm-hmm. You can just maximize his rehab assignment, keep him on the aisle as long as you can. And then I think it's 90 days if he's hurt. And so the Phillies could theoretically just try to get as close to the 90 day mark as they can and then bury him in the back of the bullpen and then try and sneak it out that way. Yes. So I don't, I don't think 90 days is correct. And again, I'm not an expert on rule five rules here, nor am I an expert on MLB roster rules. Although I I think I know a decent amount. I believe the maximum rehab time for a pitcher is 30 days. Um, So once he is there ready, you know, he can still be on the 60 day injured list. They'll send him to double a, they'll probably play two weeks there, two and a half weeks there. Then they'll send him to triple a and he'll probably play a week and a half there. And if at that point he doesn't look like a total disaster, they'll promote him to the Phillies and, you know, he'll have to face the fire and whether or not his stuff will be ready remains to be seen. But I'm certain that while he's injured, he will still be throwing and building up his workload and getting himself ready to pitch in a major league uniform, hopefully this year. Yeah. Like you said, I love it. it. Yeah. Pure trickery from the, uh, from the front office. And I love it. And it's, it's classic Dave Dombrowski, which I think is awesome. So I'm hoping it works out for him. It'll uh, add a little bit of bullpen depth, hopefully. And then, like you said, he's the kind of guy that absolutely could be starting games next year, or the year after and being a, a solid piece. 
Um, one thing I do want to ask, I've been waiting forever to bust this out, Ben. Mm-hmm. We're looking mm-hmm. for an overlooked player or two. Give me your Darren in the rough for this Phillies team coming up. Very nice, although I think Darren Ruff is unfortunate because I'll, you know, I'll give him 2012. He was good in 2012. Sure, he worked a little for the Giants. I'm rethinking this metaphor. Darren Ruff is okay. <laughs> it's really not about Darren Ruff. It's just about the fact that it works. Yeah. Yeah, it's about the uh, Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, I want to choose Garrett Stubbs because I'm Jewish and I like Garrett Stubbs. But frankly, right. I think that we're going to see some real regression from him. <sighs> now, Unfortunately. Do you, can I sidetrack you there for a second? Yes. Do you think – I agree, Garrett Stubbs is not going to be an 800 OPS guy. But do you think Garrett will continue to be a serviceable major leaguer as a backup? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's got really solid framing and, you know, I'm sure his OPS will be 680 and he'll back up for real Neoto sufficiently. I I don't think he's ever going to hit as well as he hit in 2022 ever again. Uh-huh. He got really lucky with his expected stats. But I think my guy for 2023 is Edmundo Sosa. He's going to see a lot of time all around the diamond just because his positional versatility is excellent. He plays great defense, and you know he's going to get, I think, a solid amount of time spelling Bohm and Stott and Turner and maybe even Brandon Marsh because the Phillies do need a, a right-handed out, right outfielder. And we heard the reports that Edmundo Sosa was training at center field, and he's, he's played three games there in spring training. Um, I really hope his defense can hold up there because it would be an excellent, excellent addition uh, if if Edmundo Sosa can hit, which he's done during spring training and can play mm-hmm. defense there too. And he hit pretty decently with the Phillies last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was terrible with the Cardinals, but once he came over to the Phillies, uh, I remember his numbers being pretty good. Yeah, maybe a uh, little 937 better. 937 OPS. <laughs> what was that? 937 OPS last year with okay. the Phillies. So yeah, so you know, a little, little better than you can realistically expect from over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But, but I like that Mundo Sosa pick, and I like the trade to acquire him for the same reason, because the Phillies being, as I mentioned, you know, a team that the the narrative is often that they're a defensively challenged team, which is less so this year again, but they are the perfect team for sort of this super utility guy mm-hmm. to find, like, you know, to find his to live his, his best home. life yeah and he has know? he has like five years left of um of team control through 2027 mm-hmm. so yeah. ho- hopefully he'll be a philly for quite some time yeah and uh you know i think i'm sure every city likes their you know their quirky utility guys but here in philly we seem to latch on to the occasional quirky utility guy a la wilson valdez Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that this is a good home for Edmundo Sosa. I'm glad to have him. Likewise. Yeah. Ben, is there anything? I know you said you only had about an hour, so I don't want to keep you any longer. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you want to talk about with the Phillies or anything or anything you want? Oh, you know, I, <laughs> I'm i always the type of guy that comes up with a seven things he wants to say after the pod. But I will mm-hmm. say this, just touching on Noah Song again. The last time that guy pitched professionally was 2019, um, coming off of his college career. Uh, that year in college, he had a 1.44 ERA and 14 starts. Uh, average, I want to say about six, seven innings a start. Struck out 15.4 per nine, had three walks a line, uh, basically no runs. His K to walk rate was over five. He had seven more starts with the Red Sox at low A ball to a 1.06 ERA. 
He had 10 strikeouts per nine, didn't allow one home run and allowed only five walks. So if Noah Song can live up to that, you know, he was a starter all throughout college. He was a starter throughout his, you know, very seldom professional baseball experience. You know, the Phillies might've got a future ace. I say, I emphasize might because the guy hasn't pitched in several years, but he could, he could really, really be something special. Yeah, it's an amazing experiment to see unfold. And and I think one of the things that people talk about is with the Rule 5 draft, it can really mess up a young guy by putting him in the majors and letting him get blasted for a while, like Elvis Luciano with the Blue Jays or like Alan Cordoba with the Padres or these guys that were kind of hyped. They went up to the big leagues for a year and then just were never heard from again. So like... And obviously Noah Song is is in a situation that nobody else has really ever been in of he hasn't thrown a baseball in like three years, but he was unbelievable for that. So like, what are we going to see? I have no idea, Ben. Do you have one inkling, like an inkling one way or the other, or are you just let's watch and find out? I think I'm let's watch and find out. But if the Phillies had infinite time with this guy and infinite time with their player development, I think Noah Song is a future, you know, top of the rotation pitcher. It just depends if uh, he can beat out Father Time. Mm-hmm. So he looks like. I mean, he's uh, he's twenty five. So you know, yeah, it, you know, it is a race against the clock at this point for Noah Song. But I think if really the Phillies only need a couple of things to bounce their way to end up with like two or three. If not elite, you know, top tier starters in the next couple of years, you probably still have Nola around. I mean that that's a that's a nice thing to look forward to if you're a Phillies fan, especially if you're the kind of Phillies fan like us who has been utterly disillusioned by their player development over the past decade. Oh, I'm you sure know, it's you're a nice, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's a nice change oh, yeah. of pace. Well, see, sure see you, were, you were just saying that you're the kind of guy who thinks of 10 things to do after the pod. I just thought of a great one. And do you, do you have to go or do you have like five more minutes? No, I, I have a few more minutes. Because I want to ask, we have a game that we like to play. We oh, play. I wanted to say it too. Go, you oh, hit me. go ahead. No, no, no. You started it. You finish it. We have a game that we like to play called Elmer Descends. And it's very simple. Mm-hmm. You name the most random baseball player you can think of. And then all three same, and Tom will go this, do the same. And so what we like to do is we can play this by ourselves all day long. But since we have a guest on, you you pick the stipulation. We can do only Phillies. We can do only guys from a certain time period, whatever. Or at one point we did, you name a guy, we'll have to stick with that team. I'm thinking we can do a Phillies-centric one, maybe like three rounds. Just all name a guy, you then you, then Tom, whatever. But if you have a different way you'd like to do it, that's perfectly fine. Uh, whatever you guys want to do is is happy for me. I will say that I've already thought of about six guys, and they're all Phillies. Nice. Let's, let's do, do a Phillies version. Then. Let's do a Phil. I'm cool with any time period. You could you could make up a time period if you want. Or how about 2005 to the present? What do you think? Works for me. All right. All right. Let's do it. You want to kick it off, Ben? Since you th- said you had a couple of good ones already. Oh yeah. So I I kind of already spoiled my choice with Clay Condry, so I'm not choosing him. I I I made that would have been a good one though. That would have um, been good. But if if anyone remembers this name, my DMs are open on Twitter please message me um, because no one else will. And if you do remember him, I want to talk to you. My guy is TJ Bond. Nice. I had that in my head. Nice. I'm no sorry. way. <laughs> I, had I was literally, I'm so look- proud of you, Ethan. I was literally about to look at you and go, how deep can I go? Can I say? TJ? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 
Are you, are you back up some, now? Do you have another some one? Some likes of some Chris Smalling. <laughs> Dude, that, yeah, okay. we, have, we have a group Snow chat with one of my friends that we, we play this game with. And somebody said Mike Zagurski, and I renamed the chat to Mike Zagurski Hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Scott Matheson? Matheson? Anyone? You did. TJ yeah. Bond, I could already tell, is going to be the winner, but I'll stick with bad outfielders. How about Steve Sussdorf? What's that doing for you? Oh, yeah. Good one. That's I actually, good one. I definitely remember the name. I don't remember watching him, I'll be honest. He was the guy who got called up in 2013 and had like two or three big league games and booted a fly ball in like his first big league game. <laughs> Oh my god! I you know I I I need to share something kind of embarrassing here. I did not watch. I watched like the first two months, three months of baseball, of Phillies baseball in 2013, and then I didn't watch until mid 2014. I don't know a dark age there. You didn't miss. Um, no, it, but it was a dark age. Yeah, one big league hit, and it was an extra base one. So I'll, I'll give you Seth Storrs the uh, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, that's yeah. more than any of us will ever have. Tom, who okay. you got? I, I'm gonna go with. I'm leaving the outfield here. I'm going to the pitching court. I'm going with Jack Tashner. <laughs> Jack Tashner, it's a good one. <laughs> I like Jack Tashner a lot. <laughs> All right, Ben, your turn. Go ahead. Oh, my God. I, I already wasted Mike Zagurski. I didn't realize how long we were going for. I figured uh, we're doing three yeah. rounds. So we're rounds. on round okay. two. Rudy Sianez. Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, was, I love to hate that guy. MLB 2008, Philly, Rudy Sienez, right? Yeah, yeah, 2008 MLB Power Pros legend. <laughs> yeah? Oh, he's going to toss it on the horn. All right, how about how about Les Walren? <laughs> oh, that's a more beautiful. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, Ethan's aware that I've been keeping this one in my back pocket for a long time. Okay. I'm going with Dane Sardina. <laughs> All aboard the Dane train. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. All right. I'm trying to think. Rebrinyak. Oh, Rebrinyak's a good one. Yeah, he'll walk, hit two walk-off home runs, I believe. Can I read? Can I give you a really quick Rebrinyak story? Go ahead, please. I, I, when I was a kid, I went up to Carl's Cards in Havertown, which was like the mm-hmm. local card shop, and I went up there, and they had those those packs that were like guaranteed player-used item in there. And I was like, oh, oh that's so cool. And so I was like 11. No, I was probably older than that. I was probably like 13 or something. And I was like, I got to do it. And so I went up, I spent the extra money, and I got the little square inside the card with like a game-used jersey, and it was Ray's legend, Reed Brignac. Nice. Who wouldn't want to read I, Reed I thought you were going to get like one of those fighting necklaces. No, no, that's my story. I got Reed Brignac. <laughs> okay. We got one All more right. round to go. Who you got, Tom? Um, th- this one, I actually, I had somebody else in mind, but Reed Brignac reminded me of this guy, and I, I want to throw him out there. I want to throw out Brian Bogusevich. Oh. <laughs> Brian Bogusevich. Oh, is it me again? Who, who's up? No, you're like Brian Bogus. Okay. Brian Bogusevic, one of the only players to ever hit a super walk-off grand slam, down by three with two outs, mm-hmm. two strikes. Um, so my my final guy um is Sal Fasano for the for the excellent. beautiful, beautiful facial hair. Oh excellent. 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 What a pick. Sal Fasano, Phillies legend, of course. That's another thing we do. Any player who suited up for the Phillies is a Phillies yeah. legend. Sal so, Pals. I'll give you I'll give you one more, and then Tom, you can end it out. How about Zach Segovia? Whoa. I remember the name. I don't remember him. I think he was on the 07 team, maybe. He got like three appearances out of the bullpen. Dude, he was yeah, there. I was going to say, I think he's on the roster in 08, the show. 
which probably one means start in 2007. Okay, so, there, there it is. Go. Yeah, yeah, him and Les Walrind are both in in my head as 07 guys. <laughs> yeah, him and like JD Durbin. All right, go ahead, Tom. All right, I'm gonna go with I'm I'm reaching I think the furthest back into the past on this one. I'm gonna go with Abraham O. Nunez. <laughs> oh, I hated him. Dude, I remember he <laughs> I hated him so much as a kid. And it was just because he just couldn't hit. Like I remember being like, this Phillies team looks like they have something, but Abraham Nunez. Yeah, well, who's this Abraham O. Nunez guy? Why aren't they playing David Bell there? Why aren't they playing Wes Helms? What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Ben, we've taken up too much of your time. Is there anything else you wanted to uh to say or anything to the masses? I think that's it for me, other than that. Uh, I hope the TJ Bond fan club is still going strong somewhere oh, out there. Yeah. Well, you said people could DM you. What's yes, it for people to reach you? Plug whatever you got going on. Uh, just on Twitter, Ben H. Silver or Ben Silver. Um, come check out, uh, I guess, my writing at The Good Fight and the host of other fantastic writers there. And if you really want a deep dive, I used to run a YouTube channel called Nothing If Not Inconsistent. If you, uh, if you oh, that's those, you? Yeah. No way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh wait, really? Oh yeah. We've talked about this a lot about how great of a name that is. Well, oh, thank you. Ben, I don't know if you've enjoyed your time with us. I wouldn't blame you if you hadn't. But if you're willing, no. let's do this again because I that just we we got more to go over. Let's do this all again. Right. If you're willing. Yeah, yeah. Now I got all kinds of questions. Yeah, really. Oh, all right. Yeah. We can play some more Elmer Descends. So wait, you said you used to. Are you not doing nothing if not inconsistent? No, I, I still do. It's just uh, been put on the back burner. It, it was an old passion project. And, yeah, because uh, I was going to say, you put up a highlight video for the 2020. I did, yeah. I Well, I used to you know, make like weekly videos, and uh, right. eventually I tried to sort of pivot to something more professional, especially with my job with Sports Illustrated last year. Um, mm-hmm. Now I have a full-time job with uh, Sports Info Solutions and with The Good Fight, which allows me less time to do that. But um content is not dead there will there are still things coming from nothing if not inconsistent just more inconsistently so what you're saying is when it comes to your youtube schedule you are nothing if not inconsistent that is spot on ethan Man, I, I tried. Ben, I've enjoyed this a lot. I hope we can have a, have you on again soon. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And talk some more films and play some more Elmer Descends. Or mm-hmm. I'll leave you with this. We have another game called Melvin Mora, and I can give you the story behind that later. But that game, we'll just say the 2006 Astros, and then you just have to try and list every player you can on the team. I would love to do a couple Phillies teams with you. Oh, I, that is my specialty. Dude, could you there imagine you how much fun it would be to be like the 2013 Phils and you being like, how about Michael Young? You know, like that kind of Yeah, thing. Where's, where's Tommy Joseph fit in all this? Yeah, exactly. Now nah, that's a couple of years later. <laughs> and you've been more than generous with your time. Thanks for coming on and uh, can't wait to talk to you again soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right, all awesome. right Ben. Talk to you later. Well, Ben, thanks for coming on. That was an absolute blast. I love talking Phillies with you. You obviously know more than I do. So it was really interesting to be able to get your uh, opinion on what's going to happen with the Phillies 2023 season. Also, thanks for playing Elmer Descends. TJ Bond, I mean... (laughs) that's a winner absolutely i mean we didn't we didn't talk about who was the winner but i feel confident saying ben won this round so tj bond gets added into the you know randy choats and ronnie belliards of the winners of the past so that's uh that was a lot of fun so thanks for that ben and uh yeah go follow ben on twitter at ben h silver and go find his uh youtube channel nothing if not inconsistent for some awesome phillies coverage and uh he's also ready for the good fight we talked about that and uh, go check out his great work there so ben thanks again for coming on can't wait to do this again in the future and uh this was just really fun man so thanks for giving us your time and uh we'll check in again at some point talk about how the phillies are doing hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the baseball podcast and i don't have the soundboard but i'll say it for tom 
His name is Dan Ugla.